today from the global lane, canceled in the UK. The Christian attorney whose life was shattered for tweeting biblical truth. As Bible-believing Christians, there's been erosion of our rights, um, and it's sort of, it's, it's now escalated. The American left's methodical leap forward. Classroom instruction out of the Black Panthers playbook. It should give all Americans pause. How did this happen? How did these ideas go from the radical violent fringes into your child's kindergarten classroom? The FDA authorizes over-the-counter birth control pills. Can they turn women who take them gay? It wasn't like across the board, but they did find in some studies that some birth control pills did make them uh, more attracted to women. And an ironclad commitment to Israel on display at the White House and Capitol Hill. And it's all right here on the Global Lane. Fired and canceled for sharing Christian views. A UK attorney is taking legal action after his life was shattered for sharing a tweet and biblical views about LGBTQ pride events. Seven organizations canceled Councillor King Lawal, and the Conservative Party suspended him. He's also facing a possible police investigation and threats of suspended contracts, all for sharing a tweet that said, quote, Pride is not a virtue, but a sin. Those who have pride should repent of their sins and turn to Jesus Christ. He can save you. And Lawal quoted Isaiah 3, 9. Well, joining us from the UK to explain what has happened to him since he was posted that tweet is Councillor King Lawal. King, it's good to talk with you. So Groundwork Northampton, which is an organization that helps disadvantaged kids uh, access green spaces, removed you as a trustee. And the Northampton Healthcare Foundation, uh, their trust removed you as governor. So what did each group say to you about your dismissal? Uh, right. Well, thank you for first of all having me on the show. Um, <clears throat> it's been a bit of a whirlwind. But um, so what 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 happened um, initially was, yes, Groundwork Northamptonshire uh, essentially emailed me uh, after two years relationship with them. I was a trustee on their board. Um, I've supported them for a lot of different uh, changes uh, in the in the charity, but also to expand it and 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 increase the awareness of it. Um, they've come to my offices. I have a personal relationship with them. They emailed me quite brutally and just said, because of the tweets, and um, I must uh, resign effective immediately from my post as, as a, a trustee member. Um, and then after that, it was uh, uh, Weaver's, uh, sorry, I was suspended by the party. Uh, so, well, by the local group, Conservatives, uh, the leader calls me up and says that I must, uh, um, that, uh, I must be, be suspended for 21 days. I asked um, why, uh, what's the reason for the 21 day suspension? Apparently I can be suspended uh, based on their prerogative for 21 days with no reason whatsoever. So that was quite shocking. Tell us what prompted your tweet in the first place that uh, was a pro LGBTQ pride tweets. Uh, what specifically prompted it? So uh, it was about 7 a.m. in the morning. I was uh, scrolling down uh, Twitter. I don't usually tweet, but I, I, I do like to see what's what's going on. Um, and uh, Calvin Robinson, um, he's a presenter on GB News. He was posting some of the uh, pride marches and some of the things that were going on. Um, they, they were overly sexualized scenes and images and videos uh, of you know naked uh, men, uh, perverse scenes um, with children watching. And it really did just cause me to, um, I felt a bit disgusted because of the children, namely, and it, I got a bit of a righteous anger within me. And I thought, right, I'm not going to be silent. I'm going to take to Twitter and say something about this. And that's what, why I refer to pride. Uh, you know, um, when, when, did, when did pride become a thing to celebrate? 
and you've already mentioned the a tweet in itself, the rest of it. But ultimately, I just wanted to say something and uh, stand up for the truth, and 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 that's all I did. But really, what prompted me was uh, seeing these these really really first scenes um, on, on these marches, and and wondering why these things are allowed to sort of go ahead, and why is why are they not illegal during Pride Month? It seems to be you know, a month of um, you know, illegal things allowed to happen, but any other month uh, with those sorts of uh, things that were going on there, uh, people would have been been arrested. So it was it was quite shocking to me, and that's what prom um, prompted the tweet. So, how do you view all this? Is it an affront against your uh, free speech rights? As uh, Bible believing Christians, there's been erosion of our rights, um, and it's sort of it's it's now escalated. So uh, where uh, you know. Um, the minority uh, is it, it, um, their rights come before the the majority, and particularly for Bible believing Christians, we can't speak anymore. We can't uh, even sort of hold and express our views in the ways that we uh, that, that we want to because of um, of a fear of being cancelled and lives being ruined. And in the UK, there's been bank accounts being closed and all sorts for. Um, for uh, expressing such views, uh, which is not necessarily hateful. My, my, my tweets weren't hateful at all. I wanted, it wasn't inciting violence. All I did was uh, state biblical truth, what I believe to be, you know, true from the word of God. Um, and that's what's got me uh, cancelled. And the backlash was was unbelievable. It's quite brutal. It has been a bit of a problem, but I, I don't know what I'm going to do moving forward. I trust in God and I rely on him and I trust not in my own self, but in him and uh, lean not on my own understanding that through all this, I believe God is doing something. Uh, and people are, I've got, I've received many, many calls and emails and uh, of, of support. Uh, people are uh, hopefully encouraged and, and will stand up and, and fight back against some of this injustices against Bible-believing Christians. Okay, keep us posted. From England, King Lawal, thank you for joining us. God bless you. Thank you. It's not only the Chinese people who have experienced the Communist Party's long march and Mao's cultural revolution. It's happening right here in America. Our next guest believes another long march and cultural revolution is underway in the United States. It's slowly crept into our culture and institutions. Christopher Rufo believes it's all part of a methodical plan to radically transform the USA. He is a writer, filmmaker, and senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute. And his book, just released this week, is America's Cultural Revolution, How the Radical Left Conquered Everything. Chris, it's good to have you with us. It's not only Bud Light and Target pushing a leftist agenda on the culture, but many major corporations are now jumping into the culture war, embracing and pushing a leftist agenda. Why? Well, it's part of a multi-decade strategy and plan that was first devised by new left radicals and intellectuals in the late 1960s and early 1970s, who devised a plan that they called the long march through the existing institutions, meaning that they would enter into uh, businesses, academia, K-12 schools, government agencies, and bring their ideology with them to try to transform the culture of those institutions from within. They had first succeeded in academia, then in schools, now in HR offices, and of course, as we saw in the summer of 2020, all of the so-called DEI departments and institutions around the country. Um, this was not happening by accident, and so when people looked around them in the summer of 2020 and said, wait a minute, all of our institutions are subtly in lockstep behind critical race theory and other ideologies. Um, it's important to know that it didn't happen by accident. 
but was part of this decades-long process. And Chris, instead of constitutional justice, people often experience leftist mob justice. Equity is emphasized over equality. And some people on the political right contend even the Pentagon is spending more time defending the rights of transsexuals in the military than defending the country. So how did this diversity, equity, and inclusion offices, how did they become institutionalized in government and business? Through a couple different avenues. First, the activists from the outside used uh, civil rights law and actually hijacked civil rights law in order to force these kind of training programs into all of the institutions under the argument that these institutions were racist because they had disparate outcomes based on racial groups. Um, and then once they became entrenched, they found problem after problem after problem, or rather more accurately, uh, they, they invented problem after problem after problem to the point where now in many government agencies, uh, they're teaching a style of critical race theory that examines everything under the lens of race and finds that everyone, surprise, surprise, suffers from unconscious bias, white privilege, white fragility, internalized whiteness, and they hold the keys to solving these problems. And it first started in some of the softer institutions, the Department of Education and other more typically left-leaning, but now has really taken over the highest reaches of the military. In 2020, we of course saw George Floyd protests and defund the police efforts pushed by Black Lives Matter. And the former leaders, the organizers of BLM, admitted they were trained Marxists. So how and why did Minneapolis, Minnesota, become the epicenter of the BLM movement when it's not a Marxist city? Less than 20% of the population is black. How did that happen? Well, I think there are many uh, majority white cities in the United States that are very left-leaning. Certainly Minneapolis counts for that. And then where I am in the Pacific Northwest, cities like Seattle and Portland also saw the most extreme rioting and violence uh, during the protests in the summer of 2020. And these are cities where the ideology has taken hold. And the ideology knows, and the activists and BLM, uh, and, and activists really dating back to the Black Panther Party in the 1960s, they know that these images of uh, police violence and brutality are the most uh, uh, effective spark uh, for starting large-scale social rioting and protests. And so they take these images that are now supercharged through social media. Um, it started in Minneapolis, but then, of course, it spread uh, to more than 140 cities around the country. And I'm old enough to remember Angela Davis, who was a communist and member of the Black Panther Party in the late 1960s. So you referred to the Black Panther Party. How have Davis and the Black Panthers influenced public education in this country 55 years later? Uh, tremendously. In the research for the book, I discovered some uh, really disturbing patterns. And one of these was that I read through all of the old Black Panther Party, Marxist-Leninist, radical literature from the late 1960s. And then I compared it with documents from many school districts around the country that I've been reporting on from 2020, 2021, 2022. And I found that the basic set of ideas from Black Panther ideology had migrated all the way into the kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade curriculum, covered sometimes in some euphemism, but the basic ideology is there, almost completely intact. Um, it really shows the strategy of marching through the institutions, bringing the ideology, and then forcing it onto other people's kids in the classrooms. It should give all Americans pause. How did this happen? How did these ideas go from the radical, violent fringes into your child's kindergarten classroom? So. Why this focus on race? Why now? Yeah, it's quite an interesting inversion where 
Um, of the instances of, of explicit racial segregation in public institutions that I document in the book, they're all promoted by very far left-wing racialists who believe, in a sense, a new kind of race essentialism. They believe that people are determined by their racial ancestry and categorization, and that it is better for uh, uh, whites to have separate facilities and DEI training programs than, uh, than African Americans and other minority groups, so that whites can deconstruct their privilege and that minority groups uh, can, can, can grapple with their oppression. Um, it's totally counterproductive. It's totally antithetical to what we should be doing. Um, and, and I find it just the, the deepest and kind of most sickening irony um, that we cannot uh, uh, get to a colorblind society, an equal society, a society of individual rights, um, because these people are determined to drag us um, into this, this really dead-end direction. Okay. One race, the human race. Let's talk again sometime in the days ahead, Chris. There's much more in your book, America's Cultural Revolution, How the Radical Left Conquered Everything. Christopher Rufo, thank you for sharing your insights. We appreciate it. Thank you. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration has approved over-the-counter birth control pills starting next year. No longer will women be required to obtain a doctor's approval before purchasing the pill. The FDA decision applies to O-Pill, the so-called mini-pill, manufactured in Dublin, Ireland. The pill contains progestin, but not estrogen like most birth control pills. And some women allege it has turned them gay. Sound far-fetched? It all has to do with the impact of sex hormones on the body. Well, here to explain is psychiatrist Dr. Carol Lieberman. Dr. Lieberman is host of Dr. Carol's Couch on voiceamerica.com. Okay, Dr. Carol, many American women are glad to know they'll soon be able to get the pill without a doctor's prescription, but I know one side effect is they'll risk becoming gay. This sounds like propaganda. So what do studies, personal testimonies reveal? Well, um, first of all, you know, there is a, a danger in uh, getting birth control pills over the counter. It's not like cold medicine. You know, really, they should be seeing their doctor before doing that because um, the, certain hormones are dangerous for people with certain conditions like uh, breast cancer um, that they may not know they have. But now in terms of um, causing them to be attracted to the same sex, uh, first of all, we know that the hormones that are in the mother's body while um, the baby is in the uterus can affect um, the child's, uh, who the child becomes sexually attracted to in conjunction with uh, the psychodynamics of the child's earliest years, you know, what kind of relationship they have with their mother and their father. So this isn't so far-fetched when you think about that, you know, that that's sort of a normal part of it. But they did studies that looked at women who were on uh, uh, birth control, and they showed them photos of um, faces of men or women that were altered to make them look more or less masculine or feminine. And they measured um, their, how, who they were attracted to um, while they were on certain birth control pills, when they had gone off certain birth control pills, and they did find in some studies, it wasn't like across the board, but they did find in some studies that some birth control pills did make them uh, more attracted to women. And, it, you know, so if you think about it, it's really not that far-fetched because this is part of our makeup. 
Well, you're a forens uh, forensic psychiatrist, an expert witness in criminal trials, and I'm sure you know a lot about toxicology. So how do hormones like progestin affect mental health? Well, you know, that's another part of it. Um, it can certainly, um, you know, the, the combination pill is with estrogen and progestin. So the progestin is more of a masculine um, hormone. <laughs> and um, just like testosterone, you know, it can kind of work the same way in terms of making uh, women more aggressive and so on. But they haven't really, you know, figured out yet the the um, amount, the quantities for, for this. But, you know, what's also concerning is, I mean, the reason which struck me, what, first of all, when I heard about the O-pill, this new um, that the FDA had approved this over-the-counter pill. I was really, I am, I was and I am really concerned because um, there are problems, you know, especially for teenagers who think, oh, I can just go to the store and, and get birth control pills without having anyone counseling them, you know, in addition to, the, to medically, whether they are okay to take such a pill, but also, you know, um, telling them about this, is supposed to prevent pregnancy, but you can still get venereal diseases. You can still, you know, you still should be cautious who you have sex with because a lot of women, especially like high school age, um, they think if they have sex with a guy, the guy's going to make them their girlfriend and they're going to live happily ever after. And that doesn't happen. So there are lots of things to be cautious about. Um, also, if they don't take it every day, you know, that, so there's a lot of things to be to need guidance for. Well, let's, um, let's go. Let's go beyond the mini pill here and talk sure. about the effect of hormone treatment on the mental health of young people uh, intentionally transitioning from male to female, female to male. So what impact yeah. does that have on their young minds? Yes. Well, you know, um, that was the second thing I was going to say. It struck me, first of all, about the safety of the over-the-counter pill. And second of all, um, what a coincidence, not... Um, that this is happening at the same time that a lot of people, teachers notably in our society, are trying to get um, kids to change their sex, to become men or women, to become the opposite, um, to have people call them pronouns, to take hormones, um, and to get surgeries. I mean, this is all in that same kind of uh, political agenda to not only actually to... Um, you know, to, to ruin the American family and so on, destroy America. But also, you know, especially since we just heard Kamala Harris um, talking about making that Freudian slip, you know, the other day she said, um, she, was, she was giving a, a speech and she said, when we invest in clean energy and electric vehicles and reduce, she said, she was supposed to say pollution more of our, our children can breathe clean air, blah, blah, blah. But she said population, reduce our population more. That was a Freudian slip because you know that there are people out there also who are trying to reduce the population of America and the world. So this is part, the more people you can, you can turn gay um, or lesbian, um, you know, the, more, the, the better chance you have of reducing the population. Well, what a world we're living in. I guess the recommendation then is before you consider getting on the birth control pill, see a physician. See your family doctor. Uh, also, if you're having trouble deciding who you are, go and get some counseling. Dr. Carol Lieberman, your host of Dr. Carol's Couch, thank you for setting us straight today. We appreciate it. I'd like to talk to you again sometime. Thank you. Several days before Israeli President Isaac Herzog addressed a joint session of Congress,
the head of the Democrats' progressive caucus expressed an anti-Semitic view about Israel. No surprise there. Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal of Washington State often joins other members of the so-called squad in making anti-Israel comments. This time, Jayapal called Israel a racist state. 412 members of the U.S. House of Representatives disagree. They voted in favor of a resolution this week stating that Israel is not a racist or apartheid state. Nine House members voted against the resolution, including, well, you guessed it, members of the squad, AOC and Rashida Tlaib of Michigan. Jayapal apologized for her comments, and she said she meant to say the Israeli government is pursuing racist policies. Folks, anti-Semitic speech has no place in the halls of Congress, and Democrats joined Republicans in condemning Jayapal's remark. But presidential press secretary Karine Jean-Pierre just could not bring herself to denounce Congresswoman Jayapal, but she said the White House is glad the Congresswoman apologized. Congresswoman Jayapal did indeed apologize, and we have been very clear. Anytime Israel is singled out with anti-Jewish hate, which is indeed anti-Semitism, it is unacceptable. Madam Press Secretary, does the president condemn Representative Jayapal's remark, yes or no? You said he's glad she apologized, but does he agree with the statement made in her apology that Israel is pursuing racist policies? Yes or no? Folks, more disturbing than the White House's refusal to condemn Jayapal's remark is the changing American view of Israel. A Gallup poll found support for Israel down about 10 percent from only five years ago. And more Democrats are now siding with the Palestinians. When President Biden met with the Israeli president in the Oval Office on Tuesday, he announced that America's commitment to Israel is ironclad. But earlier he said Bibi Netanyahu's government is the most extreme he's ever seen. So don't expect Mr. Biden to invite Bibi Netanyahu to his own White House meeting anytime soon. In the meantime, keep praying for the peace of Jerusalem. Well, that's it today from the Global Lane. Be sure to follow us on the CBN News and NRB channels, social media, and our broadcast affiliates. And until next time, be blessed.